scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 40. The Lord spoke to Moses, on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. You shall put in it the Ark of the Covenant, and you shall screen the Ark with the curtain. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall wash them with water. And put on Aaron the sacred vestments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him, so that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put tunics on them, and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests, and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout all generations to come. Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded him. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was set up. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading is from the book of John chapter one. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, uh, be with us, we ask. As we reflect on your word, would you be here by your Holy Spirit and would you uh, draw our hearts and our minds toward you? Would you open us up that we would receive you, receive your word, receive your guidance, your wisdom, and that we would be changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus, our King, in whom we pray. Amen. So sorry, I've sounded like this for about four weeks now. This is, uh, I've, I've been a froggy voice now for going on a month. Not sure how long I'm going to be sounding like this, but uh, I promise it's more awkward for me than it is for you to be up here talking like this. But I want us to think about something this morning, just a question to get us going. Where is God? Where is God? It's as important a question to reflect on as the question, who is God or what is God like? All of those are related, of course. But this passage that we just read from Exodus that closes out the book for us, this is our final week 
uh, reading through and, and, and going through this sermon series on the book of Exodus, we get to this moment where God appears to the people. He shows up in their presence in this tabernacle in a way where they are now left with this unavoidable reality of God living at the middle of their camp. And they know the answer to the question, where is God in a new way? And as we think about the lives that we live, how you do your week, how you do your work, how you live with your family, how you navigate relationships, how you navigate even your hopes and dreams for the future or choices that you make about spending, saving, giving money, spending time, where, wherever you do that. All of that stuff flows out of a way that you live in the world that has everything to do with who is God and where is God. Because if you're living in the presence of the living God who's up to something, it changes everything. If you're on your own in the absence of God, that's a very different way to be in the world, isn't it? But if God is here, if God is with us, if the spirit of the risen Christ is with us, it changes everything. Martin Laird, a contemplative writer, says, God is too simple to be absent. It is we who with complicated and cluttered minds remain unaware that this foundational light is flowering perpetually in the fertile and unfathomable right now. God is with us and that changes everything. And when you and I begin to recognize that the living God is here, that the living God is who Jesus is, that the, the what is God like question, the who is God question is a question we answer in and through Jesus. He is like that. That's who, the, that's who this God is. But that God who is like Jesus, love, mercy, grace, justice, peace, this God who lives toward us in love, this God is here now. He's with you always. It changes the way we live into the world. It's not God's absence that we have to reckon with. It is our own. And God who is here invites us to awaken to the glory of his presence this morning. And to awaken us, we have this final episode from the book of Exodus. And what we see is that when God shows up in their midst, they arrive at a kind of agency moment where their ability to live into the world changes. And that's what we need as well this morning as we encounter the living God who is with us. We need an agency moment. We need a reset, right? We need a reset. That all the ways that we live away from God and against one another get recalibrated as we encounter the living God who delights in us, whose grace changes us, who lifts us from all of the ways that we live brokenly and gives us this transforming grace that reorients us in the world and invites us, empowers us to live differently, step by step following Jesus in a new way of life. So as we reflect on this passage from Exodus 40, I want us to think about this moment at the end of the book as Israel's agency moment, their reset, this, this sort of like, now you push play and you can go, right? It's the moment God finally comes to meet them in their place of worship, this tabernacle, a tent of meeting, which they've been building and preparing 
all year long, according to very specific directions that we find spelled out over 13 chapters of the book. Nearly a third of the book of Exodus is instructions for building this tent. Lots and lots of curtain rings and rods and details about materials. You have artists that are specifically gifted and empowered to do skilled work. You have the people bringing forth all of their resources to contribute. And then you have 13 chapters full of that many words about the instructions of how to do this. It is so boring to read those 13 chapters of the book of Exodus. You start reading through the book, right? And it's like, man, we've got plagues, burning bush. We've got crossing through the sea. We've got thunder and lightning at the mountain, all this stuff. And then it's like screeching halt. Now it's like this long list of instructions. It's like reading a cookbook or something for 13 chapters. But if you read it and you keep reading it and you push through all the boring stuff, you realize that the reason a third of the book is given to the construction of this tabernacle is that it's actually leading up to the real high drama moment. That when God comes to be with his people, that's actually the thing. That the flash and the special effects of all of the Exodus stuff, that all of that is prologue. And what the real thing is, is God comes to be with his people. And so all of the preparation, all the other stuff, God's rescuing them, bringing them through the sea, giving them the law, all of this is preparation for the main event when God comes down. God comes down to live with his people, to make his home among them, and he meets them in their place of worship to which he's called them. And so as we come to the end of this book in chapter 40, after all the preparation has been done, this cloud covers the tent. The glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle and a new day dawns in Israel. Heaven and earth kiss after a very long separation. And the hope of the world, the source of life in the world, makes his home right in the middle of their camp. This is their agency moment. This is their reset. This is when everything begins. It's one year to the day after God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Lots of ups and downs, lots of failure and forgiveness, confusion and moments of clarity, doubt. And now at the end of that long year, as the dust settles, God comes down and meets his people and ushers in a new beginning. Which is not to say that this agency moment or this reset for Israel, when they're, you know, this new starting point for them, it's not to say that this is their coming of age. It's not to say this is a maturity moment. They're gonna mess up a lot of things moving forward. They have a long way to go. The journey is going to continue to be really bumpy. They're gonna have some spectacular falls along the way. They're gonna have more agency moments, more resets as God continues to meet them through their wilderness journey. But at this particular moment of the story, when God comes to live among them, the Israelites begin their journey in earnest and can really begin the work of cultivating a life of wholeness and character that God had intended for them from the beginning. A life together that would be characterized by God's character, 
by God's vision, by justice and peace and love. And it's important that we recognize that their reset moment, their agency moment arrives when God meets them in their worship. And that's why, it, and why that's so important for us to recognize this morning is because that's what God does with us as well. This is our weekly reset moment. This is where God meets us and draws our love toward himself. This is where we learn to order our lives and our loves around God, this one who meets us in our worship. We have a liturgy that we use in our worship, you may have noticed. It's, uh, it's fairly predictable. We go through the same story on a weekly basis, but it's a drama. And the shape of our service is actually meant to draw us into a story that goes somewhere, where God summons us as a people. God sanctifies us to himself. God speaks to us in his word. God strengthens us at his table, and God sends us into the world. This is what God does. And it's what we need God to do if we are going to arrive at that same kind of agency moment where we recognize God is with us. And the God who is with us is the God who is good, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer that we need. God meets us in our worship. And as God meets us in our worship, what we do on a weekly basis is we get recalibrated because we have a whole bunch of desires, we have a whole bunch of affections, right? And they get disordered along the way. God calls us to love him above all else. God calls us to seek his kingdom first above all else. We get that backwards all the time. And as we do, we begin to make choices that reflect all kinds of different disordered loves, right? What we need to arrive at the kind of agency that we need to live into the world like Jesus is a reset a reset where our chief primary love is drawn back toward our maker, the one who has loved us first. And then everything else begins to fall in line around him. Because when we live with our disordered loves, what we try to do is we try to fit God or Jesus or religion or faith, we try to fit it in at the edge of our life somewhere as like an amenity, like one thing that might add a little value to our life situation, right? We go cafeteria line style and we piece together the things that we want to make up a good life. And hopefully God will like fit in there somewhere at the edge of my plate, like the cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving dinner. But the real God, if he is who he says he is, the real Jesus, if he is who he says he is, like the one who spoke into existence all things, the one who came down from heaven, who lived among us, the one whom God has raised from the dead to be the first fruits of a new humanity, that kind of Jesus, that kind of God cannot possibly fit at the edges of our lives. That can't possibly fit anywhere other than the absolute center. Because if he is who he says he is, he's worthy of everything. And in our worship, we're reminded that that is who he is. And not only is that who he is, but he's here. He's with us. And we reset the living God is truly with us and he's really doing the great work of making all things new that he said. And he calls us to live in communion with him in a way that reflects that reality where we actually entrust our lives to him, where we actually give our love 
to him. You and I struggle to live with the agency that we are made to live with in the world because of the ways that we lose sight of the glory of the presence of the Lord, right? We waffle in making commitments or we fail to keep the ones we've made. We hesitate to put down roots or we resist others whom we fear will leave us. We keep our options open. We're fearing that we're missing out on the next best thing. Or we wander and search and we wait. We often not really knowing what for. In our impulsive moments, we overcommit. Or in our fearful moments, we undercommit. We jump from one thing to the next. Or we stay put at all costs, entrenched and inflexible and closed off. We worry, we obsess over what people will think. These are all ways that we just kind of live adrift in the world with disordered loves, right? What's at the root of our struggle to live with the kind of agency God has made for us to live with? Two things, I think. One is confusion about the source of our agency in life. We tend to think that our power originates within ourselves. And therefore, we just don't know how to relate well to the reality of our own weaknesses or our vulnerabilities. And so those of us who are prone to feeling strong and capable often live with an unawareness or a denial of our own weakness, right? Whereas others of us who are more prone to feeling weak live with such an awareness of our vulnerability that we struggle to believe that any such agency is possible or available to us. So that's one reason I think that we struggle to live well with the power that is available to us. It's confusion about its source. But there's this other reason that's maybe more fundamental. It's what we've already mentioned. It's just we don't order our loves well, either because we don't know how to or we don't want to. If we were to make our list and rank our loves, we would discover that some of us wouldn't know where to start. Others of us would confidently make disordered lists. And then even the wisest among us who know best how to discern what is truly most important would have to concede that the way they live doesn't consistently match what they put down on paper. What should we love the most? What loyalties should outrank others? It is as God meets us in our worship that God draws us into his love for us. He draws our love and our loyalty toward himself. What Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. The new love that expels the old objects of our affection. This is what we need. If we're going to reorder our loves and be recalibrated, be reset with God, we need to have our love centered on him. And of course, when we think about what this life of character looks like, this life that's lived by how we might say this other kind of logic, right, of self-giving love, the picture that we get of that kind of human life is the picture of Jesus himself. See, just as the story of Exodus builds toward this moment where God comes down, and that's the main event, everything else is prologue. The story of the world that goes off the rails when humanity turns away from God. That whole story of the world unfolds toward this climactic moment where God comes down in a new way, where God actually writes himself into the human story, where God actually steps onto the stage of the theater of our own life as Jesus, God in person in our world. 
The gospel writer John even uses the word tabernacle to describe what God does in Jesus. He tabernacled among us when the word became flesh. That's how he lived among us. And he's present to us as a human being in such a way that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he shows us both what God is like and what humanity is like. Jesus is where we learn about the nature and character of God. He's the clearest picture of who God is. And that is profoundly good news. Because what you would imagine if you were just left up to your own imagination, hey, what do you think God is like? If you start with any of your experience and you project from it, from whether it's like, what are authority figures like? Let me imagine. Or it's like, what was my dad like? Let me imagine. Or what, wherever you start, you end up with some distorted vision of God. But when you start with God's revelation of who he is and you begin with saying, okay, Jesus, this is what God is like. What you get is a portrait of God that none of us would have ever come up with. What you get is a God who puts himself beneath you. A God who uses every bit of his power to serve you, to save you, to love you, to love this world that he's made. A God who's not up there somewhere playing us like a video game, but a God who's here with us, weeping alongside of us. A God whose heart breaks over the same things that break your heart. A God who longs for a world that is just the way you and I long for a world that is just, actually better than the way you and I long for a world that is just. We meet a God who actually joins us in our lament, who joins us in our longing, and who's here and able to do something about it in such a way that he calls us to put our hope in him. And as he does it, he shows us what it's like to be a faithful human being as well, one who entrusts their life to God, because Jesus is a person. He's not only God in our world, he's also a person. And what we see in his life is this incredible life of love, loving God and loving neighbor perfectly and consistently, someone who trusts God with everything that he has, someone who's not anxiously trying to control the results in ways that push him to fudge a little bit in how he gets there, right? Where the means and the ends of the mission are both perfectly oriented by love. A one who lays his life down for his friends, who gives himself in sacrificial love and trusts the Father to take care of it. This is what it looks like when we take up this human life of agency with God. And the thing that we see in this moment, as, our, as, our, as we meet God in this moment of worship, as we have the reset moment, what we realize is that God's dream for the world and God's dream for our lives is actually better than our own. And God's ability to achieve it is far greater than ours as well. And so the response to this one who's with us, the one who's made all things, the one who moves toward you in love, the one who holds all things together by his own power, the one who reverses death through this movement of resurrection, this one who's making all things new, the response to this one is gratitude, love, and trust. Because at the end of the day, the great vision for your future and for my future and for the future of the world isn't something that we achieve or scheme up from within ourselves. It's something God is doing. And he's calling us to join him in the great project of making all things new. And that's not just some big 30,000 foot vision, 
That is in the daily grind of your everyday life, in the little remarks at home, in the little choices you make, the ways you spend your time, the ways you spend your money, the words you speak or don't speak, the promises you keep, every little thing, the day in, the day out, God is making you new so that you will join him in the work of making all things new, minute by minute, and he's doing the work. This God is here, and this is our agency moment every week to be reset and sent. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you give us every good gift. You provide the manna we need for the journey you actually call us to take. You've never left us, you've never abandoned us. You've never failed to give us what we actually need to follow you and the steps that you've actually called us to take. Help us to love you. Help us to be reset by your presence. Help us to delight in your ways, to trust you with our lives, and to join you in your great work of making all things new, one minute, one day at a time. We need your grace and your help to do that. And so we ask for it now in Jesus' name. Amen.